I just realized that I'm not even wearing the uh, microphone that we usually use up here to preach, so that's that's on me. But uh, I'm probably going to hear about it from Mark, so I'll, I'll make sure to speak loud and uh, hopefully it'll pick up on this microphone. Uh, please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. This is the second sermon in a series called Saved For. We are considering not the things that we are saved from, but the things we are saved for. For what purposes does God save us? What are the results that he has in mind? What does he have planned for us? Last week we saw that although Christians are not saved by good works, we are saved for good works. And if you have your bulletins handy, there's a great quotation on the front from B.B. Warfield. He says, The one antithesis of all the ages is between this rival formula, do and be saved, or be saved and do. See, the order of your Christian life makes a difference. How you understand things in which sequence makes a difference. Do you approach salvation as an empty reservoir into which you add your pathetic cupfuls of water, hoping and thinking that your good works will make God accept you? Or do you see salvation as a secure, overflowing fountain from which your good works spring as expressions of love and gratitude for the grace you've received already? Living in a Christ-like manner, walking as a Christian, it's a result of our being saved. It's not a way to earn our salvation. Work is not the foundation. Rather, the grace we've received fuels the work that it takes to walk as a Christian. And a lot of this work takes place in our minds. It's having our outlook realigned and our lifestyles follow. Let's read this passage. It's printed on your bulletin or it's on page 978 in the Pew Bibles. We're beginning in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray and ask God to reveal the meaning of his word to us. Father, we thank you for your revealed word, for what you've told us about yourself and what you revealed to us about ourselves as your children. And we ask that you would be with us in this time, that you would make the meaning of your word clear to us, that we would learn, that we would seek by your grace to live as you would have us to live, to find out what your will is. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, if you haven't seen Serenity, which is one of my favorite movies, I'm about to ruin a plot point of about medium importance. So, spoiler alert. Serenity is the cinematic continuation of a short-lived TV show called Firefly, in which a group of mercenary outlaws are led from job to job by a veteran military captain named Malcolm Reynolds. Now, Malcolm is a very jaded man. He has lost any notion of faith after being involved in the Battle of Serenity, Battle of Serenity Valley, during which most of his platoon was wiped out by an aggressive and overbearing government called the Alliance. So wishing to maintain some semblance of freedom after the war and to escape his past, Mal and his crew conduct their freelance thievery and smuggling and even brothel protecting while flying under the government's radar. And by the way, I mean flying literally because while the show sounds and feels a lot like a Western, a lot of it takes place on their ship called the Serenity, which shuttles them from job to job throughout the galaxy. Now, there is a choice quotation that tells us about Mal's character. At one point, while facing a difficult decision, he admits to his love interest, I've got no answers for you. I've got no rudder. Wind blows northerly, I go north. That's who I am. Now, maybe that ain't a man to lead, but they have to follow. See, Mal gets to a crisis point. He wants to be left alone, but he keeps getting dragged into dilemmas where he has to choose between right and wrong. And then he has to act on that judgment. If the Alliance keeps doing evil things, he can't just pretend that he's unaware. And one of the evil things that the Alliance does is to wipe out an entire town where Mal and his crew have been known to seek shelter after their heists. The last dying survivor of the town is one of Mal's former passengers, his friend and spiritual advisor named Shepherd Book. And I bring all this up so that we can examine the truth or the non-truth in Shepherd Book's final words of guidance to Mal. Shepherd Book, as he's dying with his last strength, he grabs Mal's head in his hands. He looks him intensely in the eyes and tells him, I don't care what you believe, just believe it whatever you believe. He knows that Mal needs something to live for and that Mal is caught in a state of of, of never choosing. Wind blows northerly, I go north. I've got no rudder. That's who I am. Essentially, Shepard Book's message is what the writer and director wants to convey to his audience. Live your truth. Our culture even tells us that we have the luxury of choosing the truth that we live. And it's correct that if there's no universal truth for all people, if there's no definition of reality or our existence that's true for everyone, then it really just is a matter of choosing a cause for the short time that you're on this planet. Or even trying to have no cause. But this leaves a lot of people with no rudder. It actually leaves a lot of people hoping for a rudder. You know, we Google almost anything and everything, and the way that Google autofills its search bar reveals what people are looking for. Here's some things that people Google. 
You type about half this phrase and Google finishes it for you. What is the meaning of life? What should I do with my life? They're looking to others to tell them how to live. And that's because living with no rules, no standard, no truth, it's, it's actually not empowering. It leaves you powerless and without a rudder. We turn to all kinds of coaches and activists and thought leaders for guidance on how we should live because if we're honest, if we're honest none of us wants to float aimlessly around. We yearn to discern the best way to live our lives. We want the freedom that comes from knowing that. So on the front of the bulletin, John Piper points out, true freedom is doing what you want to do and not regretting it in 1,000 years. Well, if there's a God who's created you, the only way you're not going to regret your life in a 1,000 years is if your life's purpose and God's purpose for your life are the same thing. We're going to see in these verses that we've been saved in order to discern what pleases God. The Apostle Paul expresses his ideas in this passage with simple contrasts, but very effective contrasts. So we're going to just follow him right through the passage in two steps. We'll start with walking as children of light, then continue to walking as wise. Walking as children of light, then walking as wise. First, Walking as children of light. Notice that Paul tells the Ephesians that their very nature has been changed. They have been transformed. In verse 8, he says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And Paul often does this. He doesn't just make commands. He doesn't issue commands out of nowhere. He bases them on what God has already done for us. We are light in the Lord, according to Paul. We're different because of Christ. Think about the height requirement for a roller coaster. Going on the ride doesn't make the kid tall enough. That's just silly. It's weird. It would be strange. He experiences the change first, and then he can go. So because we are light in the Lord, we can now walk as children of light. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 9, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. See, children of light live lives that are pleasing to God. He describes the fruit that our lives should bear in verse 9. Does your life align with these descriptions, with everything that is good and right and true? See, God's revealed a lot to us about his will for our conduct. The Bible actually does have clear do's and don'ts. In the, and, and these guide our choices. They're not a list to keep. They are expressions of the grace that we've received. Some of them are very clear. For instance, you don't have to do a lot of discerning about whether you should start a romance with someone other than your spouse. It doesn't take a lot of weighing the options to know what's right or wrong. If you're wondering if you should sleep with your girlfriend before marrying her, wonder no more. And, and you don't need to pray about whether you should lie to make yourself look good at the expense of your coworker or your subordinate or your classmate. God's revealed his will about those things. We have his word on those kinds of situations. 
The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. But there are choices that are more than just a matter of good and right conduct. And we try to discern what pleases God. Should you take that new job across the country or across the globe? Should you take that AP course? Should you go to college or tech school? Or should you start working and get trained on the job? Should you major in music or mechanical engineering? Try to discern. It's going to take time and thoughtfulness and submission and patience. And this word discern means to test, to approve. Samantha read earlier from Paul's letter to the Philippians, his prayer that they would be able to approve what is excellent. I could have had a read from the opening of this letter. Back in chapter 1, Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. We don't do this alone. God's Spirit works in tandem with our spirit that's been made alive because of Christ, and we try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The Spirit guides us. Our lives aren't all going to look the same. We're not all going to do the same thing. The will of God is going to be different for each of us as God has created us all differently. We have different strengths, different callings. So we discern, we figure out what's best. We make the best use of the time. We approve what's excellent. Some things are worth doing as part of our walk, and other things must be rejected and left out. The standard that children of light have as they walk is, does this please God? That's our new motivation. It's how we discern and distinguish between our options. So is that your growing desire as you look inside your heart? Is your desire to please God? Or do you feel a conflict between your desires and what's pleasing to Him? Jesus told His followers, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And Jesus' friend, the Apostle John, said that Jesus' commandments are not burdensome. Well, it's only when we follow out of gratitude, that we don't feel burdened. Our desires align with God's, then we bear fruit that is good and right and true, seeking to please Him in everything that we do. No, darkness cannot bear fruit. We only have this ability to bear fruit because God has changed our nature. Paul follows up in verses 11 through 14. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Our fruit, our light, it should expose the darkness for what it is. Verses 13 and 14 can be a little hard to understand, a little confusing. But I believe that Paul is describing the distinguishing marks between works of darkness and light. Verse 14, he says, verse 13 and 14, When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. In other words, if, if it gets exposed and it stays visible, it's light. It's good, right, and true. If it becomes visible and then it scatters or dissipates, 
or hides for cover like a cockroach. It's darkness. So when it comes to your conduct, does it hold up? Does it remain? Does it endure? Think of dogs when they're guilty. And their faces totally give it away as soon as they have your attention, right? Think of Adam and Eve. Contrast their behavior toward God before they sinned and after they sinned. They hear God and they duck behind the trees. That, that's darkness. It's been exposed by the light. Does your walk naturally expose the unfruitful works of darkness surrounding you? While other people at school are gossips and backbiters, backstabbers, are they surprised by your kindness? Are your co-workers surprised that you hardly seem to complain about your terrible boss? The end of verse 14, you'll notice it's set apart, kind of like a poem. It may have been a hymn, a hymn that was sung by early Christians, possibly during a baptism. I'm not going to spend any more time on that. But we've considered walking as children of light. Now let's look at walking as wise in verses 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of, oh, <laughs> understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you look carefully at how you walk? Or are you careless with parts of your walk? As Christians, we ought to see the world from God's perspective. Verses 15 and 16 say we ought to redeem the time because the days are evil. And we see this on display. It's not just senseless attacks. It's not just hate crimes that tell us the days are evil. It is pride and selfish disregard for others. We read jokes on social media made at the expense, made at the misfortunes of others. People live as if they have no one to answer to but themselves. They're careless. But God's children redeem the time. They seek to understand God's will. You know, discerning the Lord's will is part of being wise. It's the opposite of being foolish. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, Paul isn't telling these Ephesian believers to start acting like a crazy apocalypse cult. The days are evil. Make every minute count. Scream at strangers on street corners about the end of the world. It's, it's, we, we know that. We know that that is not what he means. Because within the context of this letter, he's going to apply these principles to mundane, everyday things. He's going to go on from all this talk of darkness and light and wisdom and foolishness to discuss behavior within the church and within families. <laughs> See, this passage is about our walk, about growing in our discernment, about what pleases God in every part of our lives. The parts that might still seem silly to even consider. The supposedly insignificant chores and errands that you run during the week. The briefest interactions you have with people during the course of the day. Those chores and errands and interactions, they're all part of your walk. You, you have been saved so that your walk will be different from the walk of someone who is not saved who doesn't care about pleasing God. 
And if your walk is no different, then you have to ask whether you are really light in the Lord, as Paul says, or whether you remain darkness. So does the light shine on more and more of your life? Do you understand more and more what the will of the Lord is in every situation you face? Do the little things hold up? Or do they scatter and dissipate? This is not meant to give you some kind of spiritual OCD. And I say that as someone who tends to be a perfectionist. Gaining wisdom and discernment for what pleases God, it's purely of grace. It's a work of God's grace. And it's a gradual work. We grow into it. And it's a result of that basic transformation from darkness into light. Our lives are no longer rudderless because God has given us standards for living as well as the freedom of having our desires line up with those standards. Have you experienced that? This is what Jesus made possible by his death. We sang this morning, Upon a life I have not lived, upon a death I have not died. Jesus, Son of God, I build on what thy cross has done for me. We build on what Christ has already done. Jesus is the answer to the chasm between God's perfect holiness and our failures and rebellions and sins. Jesus lived perfectly. He pleased God, his Father, and he did only his Father's will. He was our example. He obeyed even to the point of dying. And with his death, he answered God's demand for righteousness. The sins of those of us who have faith in him are paid for by his sacrifice. As Christians, we believe all this. And from this starting point, we see the world as God sees it. And we start to see ourselves as God sees us, as his workmanship, created for good works. Just like Mark preached last week. And we learn to discern what those good works are. We can only please God because Jesus first pleased him. If you're hearing this and it makes sense to you for the first time, please talk to an elder after the service. We, we always have an elder here at the front to talk and to pray with you if you need. And if you've been a follower of Jesus but know, you know and realize that a lot of your life is not pleasing to God, I want to encourage you to repent, to start confiding in another Christian friend who also wants to please God with his or her life. We don't walk as children of light by ourselves. We gain counsel, we gain wisdom through our friends who are also in Christ. Especially from Christians who are mature in their walk. That's why we have a discipleship program and many of you are being discipled by more mature believers. You've been saved so that you can discern what pleases God. May you depend on Jesus to walk in wisdom as a child of light. Let's pray. Father, we ask for the help of your spirit to discern what pleases you, that more and more of our walk would come into conformity with Christ himself, who obeyed you, even to the point of death. We pray that we would not be governed by selfish ambition, but that we would have fruit that is good and right and true. We pray that we would depend wholly on you and the grace you've given us to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.